We are on holy ground these days as we're spending the season of Lent in uh, the upper room. And we're banking, learning on and banking on the promises that Jesus made to his disciples, which he also makes to us. This is the last night of uh, his time, the last time that he's with his disciples before his death. And so last words are real, real important. And uh, we love, I love the fact, again, Mike has put this together kind of for our focus, that he, he gave them a, 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 new, um, a new covenant that was based on God and not on us like the old covenant of the Ten Commandments and how God related to us, how we kept those. But in the, the new covenant, it's all on God's grace and mercy. He gave us a new commandment that we would love people differently than he instructed before. Before we were to love others as we loved ourselves, but he changed that to love others as I have loved you. And as you know, looking at the life of Christ, the incredible sacrificial love that Jesus had for his disciples. Then there's this promise that even when things are difficult, you can still know the joy of the kingdom. And then last week, we looked at the Holy Spirit, the helper who comes alongside, encourages us, teaches us, and empowers us. And uh, this morning, we're going we're gonna to have a, we have a window to see just how it is that we're going to be able to accomplish what God has set for us to do. And before we talk about that, let's talk to him. Join me in a prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come this morning with open hearts. We want to know exactly what you have for us. We thank you for Jesus' words in the upper room to his disciples that are also to us. Open our hearts to all that you have for us. May your Holy Spirit take words that are written on a page and write them on our hearts that we might leave here a little more like Jesus. If there would be anything hindering us doing that, becoming more like Jesus, I pray you would remove it. For we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Now you have heard it said, I think it's a, a great saying, that the two most important days of your life are, is the day that you were born and the day that you found out why why you were born. So what is it exactly? Why are you here? What is it if the Lord is sovereign and in charge? What is it that he has you to do? That's the first question. What is it that you have been created to do? And the second is, how in the world are you going to do it? How are you going to accomplish it? I was uh, been fascinated always with the the, the lunar landing uh, by NASA, by our folks, our astronauts, on the moon um, back in around 1969, Apollo 11. You may know this, you may not. When they landed on the moon, the, the first one out of the, 
lunar module was Neil Armstrong, a guy from Ohio. And uh, the second one behind him was Buzz Aldrin. Now, most folks know the statement that Neil Armstrong made when he took that step from the ladder onto the lunar, the moon's surface. He said what? One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Something along those lines. Very important, powerful. Did you know, though, that there was another statement that was made before Neil Armstrong left the lunar module? It was Buzz um, Aldrin, um, who uh, was actually a Presbyterian elder. And he wanted to do something significant before they left the capsule. And so he asked if he could read a, a Bible verse. And NASA was very skeptical because in Apollo 8, when they orbited the moon and on Christmas Day, they read Genesis. And there were some folks that objected to that and it went all the way to the Supreme Court. Uh, and it was thrown out by the Supreme Court as ridiculous. But NASA didn't want to go through that again. So he, they said to Buzz, you can make your statement to the NASA community, but it will not go out over the air. And so before those very powerful words of Neil Armstrong, the radio went silent. Buzz turned it on. And here's what he said. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Can you imagine what he was saying to all of those who worked on this project? For to make this happen the way they did, he culminated by saying, apart from God, we can do nothing. It was a powerful moment that the world did missed out on. In the midst of mankind's greatest achievement to date, they were reminded that apart from a relationship with God, we can do nothing. Not just any relationship, not just a hi, how you doing relationship, but an abiding relationship. Without an abiding relationship, we can do nothing. In fact, that is the key to how we will accomplish what God would have us accomplish. In the chapter that we're looking at, chapter 15, 11 times the word will be used, abide. Abide, abide, abide. It's the key word that Jesus is giving his disciples as he's leaving them. 
It is the key word that he gives us that we might understand how we are to accomplish what God would have us accomplish. Now, in the Old Testament, this word abide meant to be in the vicinity of someone, just kind of near someone. In the New Testament, the Greek word changes it to be not only in the vicinity of someone, but to be in a relationship in that vicinity. To abide means that you are close and interconnected. And Jesus says, I am the vine. Let me show you the connection. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now think of a of a grapevine, if you can picture one. There is the vine, and out of the vine comes the branches. There is an intimate three-layered level of connection between the vine and the branches. The first one is there is a interconnectedness. It's not that the vine is holding on to the branch, and it's not that the branch is holding on to the vine, but they are in interconnected. They are holding on to each other. They are abiding in each other. There is also a relationship of dependence. In that interconnectedness, there flows through nutrients to keep the branch alive. There is an interconnectedness. There is this dependency of the branch onto the vine as it abides. And the third part, there is a continuance in this interconnected relationship where they're holding on to each other, where there is a dependence of one upon the other, and then there is a continuance of what is going into the branch will eventually find its way into the fruit. There is this flow of nutrients. And so this incredible relationship happens. And in this continuance, let's say it's continuance of life. Now, I'm, I'm going to just take a brief um, sidetrack here for a minute. When God created the world, he created life in the way that it is designed to continue. That's his creative order. When something is perverted in our culture, it means that it perverts life from continuing to happen in the way we were created to be. There is this incredible relationship of abiding, of an interconnectedness, of a dependence, and of a, of a, a, a continuing of life that brings more life of the same kind. That's how we, that's how God created the world. Everything good cre recreates life, new life. 
Okay, now Jesus is saying this in a unique way. John 15, 1 to 6. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, does not bring that continuance, does not cause fruit to happen from the nutrients that come from the vine to the branch to the fruit. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I spoke to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then our John 15.5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I want to also stop here for a moment because it says, Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, many of us, this would go right over our head as not that important, but this is the, one of the most important statements that Jesus makes. Jesus was no longer, when he made this statement, in the upper room. He was no longer in the upper room. How, Jerry, how do you know that? If you go to John 14, that's the chapter that comes before 15, you see that it ends like this. I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world, the evil one, Satan, is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. So they actually leave the upper room, it appears, at the end of 14. So in 15, they're somewhere between the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane, somewhere along this path. Now, why, are, why would Jesus say, I am the true vine? There are two places he could be speaking from. He could be speaking from the vineyard on the side of the mountain of Gethsemane or between the upper room and the garden of Gethsemane where you will be arrested, he may have stopped by one of the temple gates at the temple of Jerusalem that overlooks the Kidron Valley. So it's right there. And he might say, I am the true vine. Now, some scholars believe at this point he is standing in front of one of the temple gates that is an iron work of what looks like a vine. The gate has been made to look like a vine because the vine, believe it or not, represented the people of God, the nation of Israel. Look at what it says in Psalm 80, verses 8 and 9. You brought a vine out of 
This is David probably. You brought a vine out of Egypt, his people. Remember, they were freed from Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted it in the promised land. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and it filled the land. Israel was known as the vine of God. The problem is, as we read the Old Testament, the vine was unfruitful. In other words, look at what the prophet Isaiah says. In Isaiah 5, 4, this is speaking for God. What more is there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? When Israel, even though God says, this is my vine that I pulled away and I planted in the promised land, I went and it just never produced good grapes. The grapes were worthless. <clears throat> they never accomplished what God would have them do. So here's <clears throat> Israel, proud of the fact that they are the vine. And Jesus comes and maybe stands in front of that gate. And he says, I am the true vine. I, I'm, I'm different than this vine that didn't accomplish what God would have accomplished. I am the real deal. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. He's the one that plants the vines. He's the caretaker. The fruit belongs to him, and the vine is to give glory to the vine dresser. That's what I am about. And here's what Jesus in, in, in this idea of abiding, he's inviting them into the same relationship that he has with his heavenly father. Look what he says, John 15, 9 and 10. As the father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and I have abided in his love. My strength is my interconnectedness with the father. It was through the father, through the Holy Spirit that I have been empowered. You are the fruit of that. I'm asking the fruit with your seeds to be like my relationship with the Father. So here's the question. How do you abide? What does abide look like? We don't use that word very much. So the best way that I think that I can, for, for me to understand it is, is to use an illustration that I have used here many years ago. And that is with this idea of Tea. There is, at the beginning, before the service started, I took a tea bag and I immersed it. It abides in this water. And because of that, the water saturates the tea bag. And the tea bag <coughs> flavors the water <coughs> to abide means to be in that kind of relationship. 
So the question is, you'll see it in the bulletin, are you a steady steeper? Or are you, with the Lord, a dainty dipper? Lord, I, I have a need. Can you, can you meet that need? I, I think we'll go to worship this Sunday because we haven't been in a while. And maybe this, maybe in a couple weeks we'll go again. Oh yeah, and I have another need. And I have another need. I may throw up a prayer. How many of us have gotten in the routine of being a dainty dipper? Do you know what a branch is when it doesn't abide in the vine? We call it a stick. That's a freebie. Sometimes we wonder why our spiritual life is mediocre. Oh, we dip every once in a while into the Lord, but it doesn't seem to flavor our lives. Tea bags are supposed to steep. You and I were created to steep, to abide in a relationship with the Lord. So how do we, how do, we do that? It, it's so simple. You do it by spending time. Like the key to any relationship. Of just praying. Coming into the presence of God like we did for just a few seconds before we started worship, I, I hope you sense how freeing that is just to be present there for a moment. But that moment can last and last when you take the time to speak and to listen. The other way to abide is to be in the word of God because he speaks through his word. I love the story of the pastor that was invited over to this couple's house. And they had a great time, a great dinner. The pastor eventually left. And <laughs> they're clearing the table. The wife looks at her husband and says, I can't find a fork. Can you find this fork? And they looked all around the table and underneath the table, around the kitchen, and there was no fork to be found. And the wife goes, I think the pastor stole our fork. <laughs> and he says, no, honey, come on. I mean, the pastor, what would we want with one fork? You know, that doesn't make sense. She goes, he stole the fork. I know he stole the fork. I'm going to talk to him next week about him stealing our fork. And I said, honey, look, me, we lost it. The pastor is not going to steal our fork. About a year later, husband said, you know, I, we ought to have that pastor over again for a meal. Just. And the wife said, oh, yes, we will. And I'm going to ask about that fork. He said, no, you cannot ask about the fork. 
And she promised she wouldn't ask about the fork. The pastor came over, but she couldn't help herself. During the meal, she said, oh, pastor, we, we had this dilemma. We're missing a fork. Did you take it? And the pastor smiled and for a moment said, no, 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 I, I did put it in your Bible, though. Don't invite the pastor over for a meal. <laughs> That's the moral of the story. She couldn't find it for a year because it was in her Bible. And as funny as that story is, I, I wonder how it might point to some truths about our time in the scriptures. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Remember, Jesus said to the disciples, you're clean because of the word of God. Every branch that in me does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already if you are clean because of the word, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Now there are a few scriptures that some, I, I just kind of like Thomas Jefferson would like to take a Sharpie and, and just take out. One of these is I don't like being pruned. But he prunes the trees that are, the vines that are, producing good fruit. Pruning sounds painful, doesn't it? There's a cutting away of what seems to be good. And I didn't understand this verse until I, um, until I lived in Charlottesville, Virginia, and behind the manse, there was this incredible peach tree. And it was huge. And it grew Thousands of peaches. I mean, it grew. I was like, oh, and, and I don't know anything about peach trees. I just thought a big peach trees, lots of peaches. This is going to be great until the peaches began to break the upper limbs because of the weight of all the peaches began to break the tree down. And then we discovered that in all of those hundreds, almost thousands of peaches, they weren't sweet. They weren't very good at all. You, you see, the tree needed to be pruned so that the tree would be healthy. The branches would sustain the fruit. And, and then the fruit needed to be limited in a sense because that makes them more sweet because they got the nutrients. And I think the struggle with many of us is that we don't like to be pruned. We, we like where we live. We like the lifestyle we have. We even want more. And we think that that's for the glory of God. 
But what's one of the problems with the American culture is that we have so many good things that eventually they become tasteless. And we think we want more things that will also be tasteless. You see, we are connected to a vine that will bring health to the branches and a sweetness to those who exist because of our ministries. But if there's so many good things in our lives, we don't pay attention to the fruit that Jesus talks about to the purpose of why we were here. You did not choose me, Jesus said in John 15, but I chose you and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. You see, when we abide in the vine, we flavor the world and, the, and those that come after us, and we are flavored. And it makes a difference. One other thing happened in the lunar module before they left and went down the ladder onto the lunar surface. Buzz Aldrin was given permission by his Presbyterian church and the denomination to share the Lord's Supper with Neil Armstrong. The first meal on the moon was the Lord's Supper. As a reminder that at the heart of everything, it's God's love for us and his empowering of us to abide in him so that we might be vehicles of fruit that will continue to abide and grow and produce more fruit.